please never say die. Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I'm Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and we're talking about Kevin Smith. I mean, we've got a formerly fat Gen Xer who smokes a ton of weed, loves horror movies and questionable humor, says inappropriate things and opines endlessly about pop culture minutia, which he has an exhaustive knowledge of. It's like he's all of our strengths at once, but he's also rich. Well, at least he just makes movies. He doesn't know anything about podcasting. I got bad news for you, man. Wait, he what? (laughs) God damn it! (laughs) Uh, Oh, I hate to say I want to be Kevin Smith sometimes. I mean, collectively, we are Kevin Smith. Like, we're the Voltron Lions. If we were able to... I call head. (laughs) I am being no left leg or some shit like that. I'll be the cod piece. Oh, I was going to say I want to be the butt. You can be the butt. I'll be the cod piece. The cod piece... Well, I guess it only protects the cod. Which tiger made the cod piece? <laughs> the brown one? So, <laughs> so we've got a Voltron made of a butt, a cod piece, a head, and a left leg. <laughs> We're on fire! <laughs> oh no, he's becoming Voltron. <laughs> Which fucking thing out of its misery? <laughs> I'm coming for you! <laughs> oh god, it's unsheathing the sword! Oh. It's, it's like a crotch on top of one leg with a head on top of it. <laughs> why, why does it sound wet when it walks? <laughs> oh, it, it's like... <laughs> you like abominations that should not be? You might find a few on the shows of the Podcast Collective. Such Ooh. as The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy. <laughs> Get the vapor spray. <laughs> the Portland Beer Club podcast, Joel's own The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. <laughs> oh, like what 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 would that thing even fight? <laughs> Disability? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, don't don't uh, fight it. Just like let it hit you twice and lay down. It makes it feel good, and then he goes home. What do you battle? Existential terror. <laughs> and I'll form the cod piece. <laughs> Clang. Done. Why is this cod piece smiling so much? <laughs> We're off to a raucous start. <laughs> Form blazing sword with what? Oh God! Yes. <sighs> Bless it. So, so if you couldn't tell, we're talking about Kevin Smith this week <laughs> and Voltron, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yes. So if you want some more of this, for reasons, go to iTunes Podcasts, a Blueberry Stitcher, Talk Show, Podverse FM, NoonFM dot com. Pod Chaser, leave us a review. Put Marcus as your favorite podcast. There's uh, all sorts of cool stuff happening over there also. Go to our webpage. Go to our home on the web, 40go14.com, and you can see our new shows, uh, our old shows, some graphics, maybe a picture of Patrick. Mm-hmm. Huh? 
Yeah, Discord. you can interact with us in real time on uh, uh, Twitch as well. Yes. Discord. <clears throat> Twitch and Discord. Oh, that's right. Discord. Twitchcord. Twitch. Don't do that. <laughs> ditch? Oh. <laughs> you can interact with us in a ditch. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. There's a tornado coming. <laughs> oh, 40 going on 14 to the ditch. Let's go hang out with them. No. I want to hang out with the God beast. <laughs> or you can give us a call at 708 now wrap. 708-669-9727. Click and call on Facebook too. Or you can go on Discord and chat it up with us. What's the current chat? We got a lot of people in the in the fans chat. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people participating actively and even more lurkers. Like, I, I spend a lot of time in there talking with listeners, and I, I see these names pop up that just watch. I see you. We know you're <laughs> watching, and we like it. I'm looking at you, Jaff83. Say something. That's your brother. Bitch. Oh. I know it's my brother. Oh, Okay. All right, I think it's about that time. It is about Jesus that time. Jesus Christ, it's that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And indoor sports. Yes. So the date that Patrick has chosen for this one is August 2nd, 1970, Kevin Smith's birthday. See, that's why he's doing so good. He's got two years on all of us. Oh, yeah, in two years, we'll, we'll pretty much be living his life. Yeah, totally. You never know. In two years, I'll have an 18-year-old daughter. You might. It could be a phone call away. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a pat- daughter of Patrick's, please call seven or eight now, rat. No, don't do that. No, don't, don't call. Don't call. Save her the... No, save her yeah. the... the yeah, she, it's not going to be the romantic t- movie that she thinks it is. It's going to be depressing. Me and she'll be like, uh, can I have... Jay is a dad instead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's going to meet Pat and be like, that guy's going to ask me for money. Oh. <laughs> Wait, see, I screen all the voicemails, so I'll just set up a surprise meeting. It'll be like Jenny Jones. Oh, my God. Josh is Maury Povich. Oh, God. <laughs> all right, right, so music. The number one song. <laughs> I just blacked out. What happened? <laughs> the number one song in the land was They Long to Be Close to You by The Carpenters. Just like me, they long to be close to you. Uh, <sighs> close to you. That's a pretty good song. I like that song. It's fun. I used to like it. Until <laughs> about 15 seconds ago. You hear they just sold Karen Carpenter's apartment, right? Oh, oh God. No. Here comes a joke. <laughs> It, it took so long because there was no kitchen. Oh. You know, I had a Karen Carpenter Pez dispenser. It was a problem. Every time I put the Pez in, it would just come right back out. I had a Mama, right. Ca- I had Mama Cass one, too. <laughs> kept getting stuck. Pez got stuck, yeah. That's me. If you want totally non-topical Pez dispenser jokes. Mike's your guy. I got you. All right, so the Powder Ridge Rock Festival was scheduled to be held July 31st through August 2nd at Power Ridge Ski Area in Middenfield, Middlefield, Connecticut. <laughs> the lineup for the festival included 
Eric Burden and War, Sly and the Family Stone, Fleetwood Mac, Melanie, James Taylor, Joe Cocker, The Almond Brothers, Little Richard, Van Morrison, Jethro Tull, Janis Joplin, Chuck Berry, and Grand Funk Railroad, among others. A legal injunction forced the event to be canceled, keeping the musicians away, but a crowd of 30,000 attendees arrived anyway to find no food, no entertainment, no adequate plumbing, and at least seven key drug dealers. That's seven zero drug dealers. Although the promoters of the festival announced plans to reschedule the event for another location, no such plans ever came through and no free refunds were ever issued to the ticket buyers. <laughs> because not any one of them even remembered going. Yeah, yeah, at least the drug dealers they booked showed up. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a real shit show. Wow. It was no show. Yeah, the town didn't want the festival to happen, and so they fought it and got the injunction against it, and then all the artists were like, well, we're not going to show. And, like, Melanie was the only one that showed. Who's, oh, do I know Melanie? Uh, brand yes. new key. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's her only real hit. She just sang that over and over again with 70 drug dealers. <laughs> <laughs> the 70 drug dealer dancers. Everybody's like, this is the best concert ever. It's a 70-part harmony on new, brand new key. Who knew? Still better than Fire Festival. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point. Hey, Joel. Yo. I got a Jane Mansfield Pez dispenser. Uh-huh. The head fell off. <laughs> uh, all right, so... Stephen Steph Carpenter, born August 3rd, is an American musician known as co-founder of the guitarist of the rock band, The Deftones. His guitar technique makes use of both ringing open strings and dissonant chord voicings, as well as stock power chords in polyrhythms. Carpenter was ranked 60th in Guitar World's The 100 Greatest Metal Guitarist Poll. Huh. I like The Deftones once in a while. Yeah, that uh, pop-punk ska reggae band the deftones <laughs> you beat me to the joke i was gonna say they're my favorite ska band yeah nice on august 4th jim morrison's final arrest before his death on july 3rd 1971 took place in los angeles after a night of drinking he fell asleep on a random porch the owner found morrison in the morning while she went to get the paper and unsuccessfully tried to rouse him she then called the police who arrested him but he paid the 25 dollars bail and was released $25 bail. Jeez. That's cheaper than a hotel. 1970. Man. That's like $28 now. <laughs> well, we're going to keep you unless you got $25 for the bail. <laughs> Are you, <laughs> you, you? I wonder if they said that to him and he was like, what? Are you, you're messing with me, really? Uh, I mean, a lot of people who get arrested for falling asleep on porches. In 1970, probably didn't have the $25. Just saying. Mm hmm. True. And finally, Christine Perfect, later McVee, joined Fleetwood Mac on August 7th and did not show up to that concert with the 70 drug dealers. Allegedly. Though the drug dealers were there. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Chisholm, starring John Wayne. <laughs> I knew there was no way I was getting through that without <laughs> someone giggling. I, I was on purpose trying to pronounce Chisholm. The strong Chisholm. 
All right. James Francis Gunn Jr., born August 5th, is an American filmmaker and musician who began his career as a screenwriter in the mid-1990s. He then began working as a director, starting with a horror comedy film, Slither. He subsequently directed the Marvel Cinematic Universe film, Guardians of the Galaxy, and its sequel. And he's going to be working on the third entry in that series. And he oh, just finished uh, Suicide Squad 2. Yeah. And he started way before Slither. Yeah. He was a trauma. It's, it's official, though, they got him back for the third one? Oh, yeah, that's the reason it's going to mess up the whole timeline between the next Thor movie and the next Guardians movie. Well, after all that other bullshit about the tweets and shit, you know, from before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's just one of those cases is like, do you want to disincentivize someone from changing if they did something shitty in their past? Right. That's the way you do it. I agree. But yeah, so there was his first like full length movie, but he did a bunch of stuff with trauma long before that. Oh, yeah. Really? All, all the trauma stuff was before Slither? Yep. Yeah. Hmm. He was involved with Sergeant Kabuki Man, I believe. And uh, I think Tromeo and Juliet. Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah, that's the one. In I fact, um, Troma himself was uh, a cameo in the first um, Guardians of the Galaxy. He was in the prison planet. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You mean Lloyd Kaufman? Yes. Uncle Lloydy. Uncle Lloyd. I got to meet him once. I did an interview with him once. Yeah, he was at uh, Gen Con. Unfortunately, the uh, damsels of Dorkington were actually at the same spot, and he had absolutely no focus on anything I was saying. He came on to me. You say that a lot, a lot of people, Joel. No, I have it recorded on the interview. That's okay. Now gone to probably one of the creepiest things you've ever said to me. You said a lot of weird shit, dude. I'm proud of that moment. <laughs> he came on to you? Yeah. It's, it's, it, you know, in typical funny fashion, but. Oh, so it wasn't like he didn't like offered you a hand now. job or something. But if you would have, I might have said yes. All right. Francis Elena Farmer, born on <laughs> September 13th, 19th, 1913, was an American actress and television hostess who appeared in over a dozen feature films over the course of her career. But she garnered the most notoriety for the various sensationalized accounts of her life, especially her involuntary commitment to psychiatric hospitals and subsequent mental health struggles. There were three biographical films about her. In 1982, Jessica Lange portrayed her in the feature film Francis. In 84, there was Will There Really Be a Morning with Susan Blakely, based loosely on Farmer's autobiography, and finally Committed, which was produced in 1984. In music, she was portrayed in the songs Ugly Little Dreams by Everything But the Girl, and Frances Farmer Will Have Her Revenge on Seattle, and Letters to Frances by Nirvana. Farmer was diagnosed with esophageal cancer in the spring of 1970, attributed to her lifelong habit of heavy smoking. She was hospitalized for three weeks and died at Indianapolis County Community Hospital on August 1st. Got a case of the Joels there. Yeah, that was a minefield. Yeah. Yeah, that was a tough paragraph, that's for sure. All right. On August 6th. Oh, boy. This is, this is going to get much better. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh, yes. On August 6th, Manoj Neliatu Shyamalan, Indian-born horror film producer and director, was born. He became known in Hollywood as M. Night Shyamalan when his first film, The Sixth Sense, became a number one hit. Other films he wrote and directed included Unbreakable, Signs, The Village, and, unfortunately, The Last Airbender. There's a definite, like, graph you could make with those four movies. It starts up at the top. And goes down to the right corner. The village was was strange to me because 
when the twist came at the end of it, I was like, I mean, I'm not trying to be like, like all like, ooh, I saw it coming or nothing, because I literally was like, the entire time, never thought it wasn't in modern times. I I always just thought they were like an Amish community living in modern times. And then suddenly, like, the big twist was, oh, they're in modern times. I'm like, yeah, haven't they always been? I didn't realize they were supposed to be in, like, the 1800s. And I'd like to point out that The Sixth Sense was his third film, not his first. His first real good... And I said his first number one film. Okay. I meant I meant his first number. Yeah, I poor, I worded it poorly. But his, you're right. I, I didn't mean his first film. I meant his first number one. Oh, okay. <clears throat> his first successful film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to see the other two. I've never seen Unbreakable. Oh, dude, I saw that in the theater without knowing what it was, and it. I was really picky about the movies I own. Like, I don't have that many DVDs. Unbreakable is one of them. Nice. Did we see it together? Because I I went to see it with somebody. I don't remember who, and I remember both of us not knowing what it was about, and we really liked it. Mm, I don't think so. I think I went to see it with uh, Nick. Yeah, I don't remember who I saw I, it with. I saw it in the theater, too, but I wasn't with you. Mm. I have the trilogy. I just picked that up, finally, on Blu-ray. I still haven't seen the third one. Oh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen the first one, and now I'm like, shit, now i got to see three movies. And I still You're like really- signs. I don't care what people say. I like Signs. Signs wasn't too too bad. All right. On July 30th, Christopher Nolan was born. An English-born American film director, he is a 10-time Oscar winner, noted for the Dark Knight trilogy of Batman films, plus other films such as Interstellar, Inception, and Memento. Hell of a filmmaker. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Good stuff all around. I still, I still, my favorite thing is always talking about Inception is when I took my grandmother to go see it. And she went through the whole movie. like, And it's like two and a half hours long. The credits roll. The top is spinning. And I'm sitting there mind blown. And I look at her and she looks at me and she goes, I don't know what the hell just happened. <laughs> I'm like, you're a hell of a filmmaker. I'm like, that's all right, Grandma. It was eight bucks well spent just for that statement right there. <laughs> she enjoyed it. I mean, there was, I mean, she was great taking, when you take her to the theater because like, we we took her to one movie and there was a trailer that had like a bunch of kids in a school bus at the beginning. We got to the end of the movie and on, in the car on the way home, she goes, I, I just, what happened to the kids in the school bus? <laughs> and we're like, what kids in the school bus? She goes, the very beginning, there were those kids in the school bus. I'm like, that was a completely different movie. What are you? So, oh, I miss her. Yeah. Good I conversation. Like she liked all you guys too. Even Pat. She's good people. <laughs> All right, so TV, the top shows in the land, Marcus Welby, MD, The Flip Wilson Show, Here's Lucy, and Ironside. That's a hell of a lineup. That's, that's wacky. What's Ironside? That's the uh, guy that... The, the doctor that's he, in the wheelchair or whatever, or the cop that's in the wheelchair. I thought it was Doc- a detective or something. Yeah, I was going to say he's a doctor or a cop or an Indian chief or something. I don't know what he was. He's a doctor, cop. I don't know. Freeze or I'll perform surgery. He's a horse doctor and he works the canine unit and some kind of, and he's a vet and I don't know. He's in a wheelchair. That's all. But it, yeah, that's the main thing is he's in a wheelchair. He's in a wheelchair. And he's also an Olympic high diver. I'm and gonna... he forms part of Voltron. Oh. <laughs> he might. He forms the right leg of Voltron. It's Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr is the right leg of Voltron. <laughs> that's canon now. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is dude no wheelchair. E e e. I'm coming. You didn't get a tiger? No, the lions. I didn't get a lion either. I'm on my way. Hold on. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> Hell. All right, so Thomas Lennon, American comedian, screenwriter, and TV actor, was born August 7th this year in Oak Park, Illinois. Mm-hmm. He graduated from Oak Park and River Forest High School in 1988 and starred in Reno 911, The Odd Couple, and had smaller roles in Hot Tub Time Machine, Cedar Rapids, We're the Millers, and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I love Thomas <laughs> Lennon. Yeah, he's a fun, fun actor to watch. Do I know this? Yeah, he played Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dangle on Reno 911, the guy with oh, the yeah. shorts. Oh, yeah. Never seen it. Oh, my what? God. Reno 911 is hysterical. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And I'm picky yeah. when it comes to comedy. It's good stuff. Where the Millers was hilarious. Yes. In fact, I was really surprised at how, how much I was laughing at Where the Millers. Yeah, Where the Millers was much better than it needed to be. Right. How many times are we going to say that on the show? Uh, 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 until we, that movie becomes a cult classic. You're getting paid? Um, (laughs) On August 2nd, NBC expanded full-service newscasts seven times a week. Dun-dun-dun with NBC's Sunday News, and it replaced the acronym of the week, which is TFMR. Pretty sure that's just Tina Fey making rice. (laughs) I'd watch that. I would totally watch that. (laughs) I I would. Oh, I have such a crush on Tina Fey. Mm. Have you seen her in the new uh, insurance commercials with Yes. What's With the name Mayhem? of the guy? Mayhem. Yeah. Where he's no he's a mother in law. Oh yeah, yeah. But no, that is uh actually the Frank McGee report. We <laughs> were not even close this time. Was he, he making rice? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he's made rice at one point or another. But not on TV, no. No. And moving on to sports. sports. Future Hall of Fame outfielder Willie Stargell hit Three doubles and two home runs in a 20-10 to 10 Pittsburgh Pirates win versus the Atlanta Braves on August 1st. That is a very high score for two disappointing teams. Yes. Well, back then, the Pirates were pretty good. Dean Winters. God, I couldn't think of his name. I had to look it up. I'm sorry? What? You wish to go back in the conversation? The Vulture, Mayhem, the commercial you're talking about, the actor. Yeah, Dennis, her boyfriend on 30 Rock. Yeah. Yes. The guy yes. from John Wick. Dean Winters, yes. Good. I just had to look it up because it was driving me crazy. And he was on Oz. Thank you. For that. Whatever that was. I'll form the cod piece. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby McFerrin, Raymond Burr, make Voltron. Philo Alfonso Wallace, born August 2nd, is a Barbadian cricketer who played for the West Indies. He hit 198 runs in two test matches in an opening partnership with Guyanese batsman Clayton Lambert that for a brief period was hailed as a possible successor to the legendary Green Ridge-Haynes partnership that dominated the 1980s. Shut your mouth. It's almost sacrilegious to say it. Seriously. There was talk. It was not to be, though. And by 1998, both Wallace and Lambert had been discarded from future selection. Aww. But had been handpicked by Raymond Burr to be the right and left arm of Voltron. <laughs> and of interest to all of you, I think, 
possibly, Masahiro Sakurai, Japanese video game designer who created the Kirby series of games, was born August 3rd in Tokyo. That is of no- note to me. Yeah, I, that's, I recognize the name, but couldn't have told you what he was famous for. Like, I would have guessed a Nintendo franchise, but... <laughs> that was probably the best Kirby impersonation I've ever heard. Yeah, thanks. Is that a Nintendo franchise? Oh, yeah. Kirby? Yeah. That's Kirby? Yeah. I'm glad it didn't suck. He sounds like yeah. a vacuum cleaner? He does. He, yeah, that's kind of his thing. He, he inhales enemies. Oh, interesting. All right. Ha <laughs> ha! Okay, you you got me? There's <laughs> a lot more excitement over that than I was expecting, honestly. Right? Yeah, like, I, I didn't realize that was a battle we were fighting, but good job. Touche, Signor Pussica. <laughs> and lastly, on July 30th, players in the National Football League voted to walk out on strike after a vote by the 1,200 veterans play, veteran players in the National Football League Players Association. While rookies showed up at NFL training camps, most veterans elected to stay away. On August 3rd, the work stoppage ended with the NFL and the Players Association agreeing to a four-year, $19.1 million deal. That's like one player now. Yeah. Right? Yep. It's like $25 back then. Play us off, keyboard, Joel. Nah, 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 nah. Back in 1970... What I'm assuming was a small round baby was born, known as Kevin Patrick Smith, born in Red Bank, but grew up in Highlands, New Jersey, son of Grace and Donald. Donald was a postal worker. He's very proud of his native state for reasons unknown to me. This uh, New Jersey? Come on. It smells like fish and sadness. The only way you can like New Jersey is you have to be from New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I don't even like driving through New Jersey. Yeah. Mostly German, a little bit of Irish and English mixed in there. So fast forward to his 21st birthday. Uh, then Kevin Smith went to go see Richard Linklater's comedy Slacker, which on a side note, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's fantastic. It's bizarre. It really is. It's trippy as shit. But he's impressed that he set and shot the film in his hometown of Austin, Texas, rather than on a sound stage in a major city and was inspired to become a filmmaker and to set films where he lived. Smith relates, it was the movie that got me off my ass. It was the movie that lit a fire under me. The movie that made me think, hey, I could be a filmmaker. And I had never seen a movie like that before in my life. I've never seen it. No? Nope. You got to be in a mood to see it. Yeah, and most people, if they talk about it, all they talk about is Madonna's pap smear. Yeah, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah, there's a lot more. But that's the part that people always come back to for some reason. But uh, yeah, so what we are doing now is we are taking a brief saunter through the movies of Kevin Smith. We've done people shows before, as as long-time listeners will know. See our popular Cameron Diaz show, for instance. (laughs) Yeah, everyone loved that one. Yeah. Good Lord, that was a cluster. I don't understand the amount of hate that we got from that. Yeah, I, I just think she's a personality that while we all like her, like apparently some people don't. A lot. But let's not relitigate that show. Cameron <laughs> <laughs> DS2, it's coming. Right. So uh, we are going to start out with the first of his shows, of his movies, I mean, the um, movie Clerks, uh, 1994, black and white buddy comedy film 
starring Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson, presents the days in the lives of two store clerks, Dante Hicks and Randall Graves, along with their acquaintances. It's the first of Kevin Smith Askewniverse. Am I saying that right? Askewniverse? Yeah, Yeah. the Mm -hmm. U.S. universe. Mm -hmm. And introduces several recurring characters, most notably Jay and Silent Bob, which is Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith himself. For the low, low price of $27,000, this was uh, shot. It grossed over $3 in theaters and launched Smith's careers and is considered a landmark of independent filmmaking. I was also recently selected for preservation in 2019 of the National Film Registry and the Library of Congress, who deemed it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I would agree with all of that, yeah. I would, too. It's kind of crazy when you watch it to think that so many other people look at it that way, but I'm I'm happy for it, because I agree. And this was a movie, another one of those movies that was put together under the shoestring, you know, like using credit cards to pay for it and loans and and personal paychecks from jobs he was working. And he filmed mm-hmm. this at night. Yeah, because he, he worked at the convenience store. Yep. Yep. Definitely was one of those. If this doesn't, if we don't make it on this, we're going to be working in this convenience store for the rest of our lives. For sure. I, I remember the first time I saw it that it reminded me a lot of a stage play, almost. Just the way the dialogue played out. Yeah, the rapid-fire dialogue was definitely very much theater more than realistic. Well, and that's a thing that that he had going for him, because, you know, he's just doing the two-shot, where it's just two talking heads, essentially. There's not a lot of action going on. I mean, there's some, but it's minimal at best. It's basically driven by the dialogue. It's kind of like Quentin Tarantino, but with you know, more of a comedic slant and a much simpler kind of format. Yeah, some of the rant scenes, especially on pop culture, we talk about influencers, which has become a dirty word lately because it's uh, associated with social media. But I think in different communities, like when it comes to geek culture, Kevin Smith is definitely an influencer. And you can trace that back to uh, Randall talking about Empire Strikes Back. Like so many people, I think, rallied around the arguments presented in that scene that in a lot of ways, people's, I think, impressions of that film were definitely shaped by the conversation in that scene. Laura and I watched this two nights ago. I wanted to go back to the well a little bit before the show. And as that scene came on where he's talking about how, you know, on the, the Empire or when they blew up the Death Star the second time, it was a bunch of contractors and mm-hmm. I was like, you know, me and the guys, I'm like, we've had these types of conversations, not this exact conversation, but we've had these types of conversations. And that's where a lot of people like us connected with it, like Josh was saying, is because, you know, we could see ourselves in that. And it was, a, you know, it was versions of ourselves that were much more eloquent and able to, you know, rapid fire, have these witty comebacks that we always have, but not necessarily in that rapid-fire fashion. Yeah. Right. And uh, what what we would want to say if we took the time to write ourselves yeah, a script. because it was much more polished. Or like when we're at our best, if when we're always on when we're talking. Because we've had conversations that are like that, but usually in a 30-second burst where it's all combination of hilarious and insightful. And no human can typically maintain that for 
whatever, 30 minutes or even a 10 minute scene. Right. One of the things that all pop culture gets wrong, but just because it's not as fun to watch is, is, you know, when you have those types of conversations, you know, nine out of 10 times, someone is going to be laughing pretty hard. And you can't just keep rapid fire, boom, 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 boom at each other, because eventually somebody's just going to start laughing. I mean, because you're being funny. And that you you don't put that in movies because it, you know nobody wants to watch four guys you know making each other laugh for sixty seconds straight. But that's reality. That's when we hang out together in a diner or whatever. There are times when we're all laughing, but I mean that's you know you don't put that on film. Oh, thank God there's a couple, two, three people that like listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we appreciate about you. Yeah, I mean, as much as I love Clerks, uh, I don't want this to devolve into the hey, remember that scene. That was awesome. Right. So maybe we move on. Yes, let's move on to the next year where he made Mallrats. There's a lot of love-hate for Mallrats. It's uh, 1995. I guess they describe it in Wikipedia as a romantic buddy comedy. This one's starring Jason Lee, Jeremy London, Shannon Doherty, Claire Forlani, Ben Affleck, which foundling Ben Affleck, that was pretty new for his career. Jason Mewes, Joey Lauren Adams, and Michael Rooker. Uh, and Smith himself. It's the second Eskunis verse movie. This kind of failed at the box office, but has since then become a cult classic. When it originally came out, people were pissed, I think, because they were expecting more clerks. And this is different. But then there was like a reverse backlash later where a lot of people are like, well, you know, Mallrats got unfairly shit on. And they went back and it, yeah, I think cult classic is appropriate. Well, and even he would talk negatively about it. A lot of self-deprecating talk about that movie. The only thing that really bugged me about this movie was the, the you know, the title Mallrats. At the time, I was working at a mall restaurant, Garfield's, and there were mall rats literally in there every damn day. And I watched this movie, and I'm like, yeah, these kids are nothing like the actual mall rats that I have to deal with in real life, and it kind of bugged me. I was like, this is not what mall rats are like. Hmm. Those are New Jersey mall, mall rats. Totally different from Chicago yeah. mall rats. Totally different breed. <laughs> what was it? Was it Dennis that was in that mall that we worked at where the Garfields was? And he's like, you could sell anything in this mall if you put the word jiggy on it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Seems about right. But no, I mean, mall rats out of with the Askewverse. It's I don't want to say it's a guilty pleasure because I actually like this movie. I mean, there's a lot of great little one liners, like an uncomfortable place. Like, you mean like the back of a what is it? The back of a Volkswagen? Volkswagen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of little little continuing quips through the whole thing. There's uh, Stan Lee talking about the Hulk's dick. It's kind of like he made clerks. This is this is what I think his framework was in his head. I made clerks. I'm not going to, that was it. I'm not going to get another chance. And he made mall rats and put it all out there and was like, I don't know if I'm going to get a third movie out of this. So I might as well just blow the load and do what I do and see where it goes. Well, once you have a budget, it changes your process. Right. And I don't know that he a hundred percent figured it out, but I enjoyed the final product quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and I think they threw so much money at him and, and people were constantly talking about his movie is nothing but two shots and dialogue. And he's like, look, I can do more than that. And so he had a lot of action. There were still the the dialogue, but he put it in a different setting and, and made it a lot bigger scope. Mm-hmm. Um, but know, it was not- it was a completely different movie than Clerks, because unlike Clerks, it was a movie that was made 
with a whole bunch of other people in mind. He didn't get to just make it himself. He was making it to please different people. He was making it to, to make money. He was making it for all kinds of other reasons other than making it just because he wanted to make a movie. It's not a schooner. It's a sailboat. <laughs> See, that's the thing. It's like it's it's quotable. It's fun. I mean, it's I I really enjoyed this movie. And honestly, the character of Brody, I kind of liked him. He says to nobody else. No, I just I think I'm done talking about Mallrats personally. Okay. Me personally, I mean, fly, right. fat ass fly. Pat, <laughs> Patrick's done. We'll move on, I guess. No, I, I am done. I said, <laughs> I specifically said it was just me that was done. The talent is bored of this topic. He wants to move on. This topic has become tiresome. Once Patrick has finished, everyone's finished. Right. So, 1997. <laughs> Chasing Amy, American romantic comedy drama written and directed by Kevin Smith, starring Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, and Jason Lee. It's about a male comic artist, Ben Affleck, who falls in love with Joey Lauren Adams, who is a lesbian. Due to the displeasure of his best friend, it is the third film that all exists in the Ask universe and the first time that we hear Silent Bob talk. This movie, like, affected me. I was, I remember sitting, uh, just thinking about it, walking out of it. Yeah, this was a big movie for me. It was a, not what we had expected from him from the previous two movies. But I was not disappointed by this at all. Yeah, I remember I saw this one alone, and I just like had to take some time to process. I enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I saw it for the first time on cable, I think. I hadn't seen it in the theater, and... If I remember correctly, I didn't even remember that it didn't realize or didn't remember or whatever that it was a Kevin Smith movie. Because at the time, Kevin Smith was, you know, not totally on my radar. I had seen Clerks and I liked it, but, uh, you know, I'd seen Mallrats and I was like, eh. So I wasn't kind of like, you know, a fan of his yet. I was kind of undetermined how I felt about him at this point. So I never saw this one in the theater. But when I saw it, I was like, okay, yeah, I think I like this guy. This was the movie that convinced me I liked Kevin Smith as a writer and director. Well, and this is where he really had a chance to kind of show that he could do more than dick and fart jokes. I mean, granted, there's a lot of dick and fart jokes in there, but... But they have substance, for one, you know. Right. It's not just Jay, you know, pulling his dick out. (laughs) Although, I mean, you know, we all appreciated the... Okay, for a brief moment there, I forgot that there was a character named Jay, but... (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember him ever not, doing that. What not not RJ. No, not RJ. No. Well, not for you guys. Not saying, hey, not, uh, Jay, if you're listening, I'm just tossing it out there. I'm not going to say it. I won't look. Yeah, you're, you're allowed to pull your dick out, Jay, if you want, but we're not yeah. talking about you. No. Right. No, I don't know. Pull your dick out. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot more to this, and I, I think I kind of had the same experience Josh did. Granted, I, I didn't see it by myself, but there was a lot to unpack at the end of the film. It was well written. It was the acting was all on point. The jokes were funny. The stuff that was meant to be poignant was exactly that. And you cared about the characters. I mean, which obviously mm-hmm. we talk about a lot helps. Exactly. And and you left the movie with more than just like, oh, that was good. It was like, okay, what just happened? But in a good way. So you said when you left the theater, Josh, it made you think about a lot of things. What kind of things were you thinking when you left? If you don't mind sharing it. 
kind of the way people are confronting their sexuality, the relationships, the way we hurt each other, just trying to be true to who we really are, especially when it's, it's something that's good. Like uh, the climax of the movie where the where you've got Joy Lauren Adams character and you got the two friends and he's got his brilliant plan to fix everything and burns everything down around him. Yeah, and it just hurts the hell out of her. And then we get to see the aftermath after the wreckage. And like everyone's trying to be honest to who they are. And it, it just it's all fucked up. And I don't know if this was this might have been the first time I saw something that rang true about how situations obviously not as complex as that one with uh, multiple conflicting sexualities and baggage drawn into a relationship. But like, I don't know, I, the details are different, but uh, the feelings rang true to me in a way that I, I can't remember seeing in a movie before this. Hmm. Well, and it kind of combined all of his skill set at that point. You know, you had a lot of the, uh, again, the, the two shot people just talking, but there was other action going on too. But there was still, again, it all comes back to that dialogue. And, you know, maybe it's not quite the same as, as a Quentin Tarantino or talking, you know, old dramas and, and comedies like the Charles MacArthur rapid fire kind of pace but it was still just really well written see i think that's where where it's different when you when you talk about that uh shotgun dialogue where the commentary is just going back and forth in the script you also think you think of kevin smith you think of you think of quentin tarantino but i think the difference between tarantino and kevin smith is tarantino you're like oh my god i wish i was that cool that i'd be able to talk like that and in Kevin Smith's, especially in Chasing Amy, you're like, holy shit, I've really got to talk to whomever like this. I have to have this conversation. Well, for sure. Yeah, Tarantino's going to present the world the way he sees it, the way he wishes it was. And Kevin Smith is going to take the world he's lived in and put it through a filter and put it out in a way where other people can digest it who don't have the context of having like lived his life. Right. And but I think I think the thing with this is that in the whole uh, sphere of this this movie, he finally came to his own with the script writing, was able to deliver a emotional instead of the snarky back and forth from like from mall rats. He got a snar uh, back and forth that was like, holy shit, like in your case, even made you step out of there and go like, I got to talk to people. I have to have conversations. I have to I have to learn how to communicate on this level. And I think a lot of people garnered a lot more respect for him after that because they thought, okay, here's this guy. He's making another movie. And then they they all saw it and were like, okay, he's got something to say. Right. So moving to Dogma 1999. After doing two, one amazing out of his rear end black and white buddy film, one mall rats, I may not get another chance at this, an emotional and poignant chasing Amy He's like, let's insult the biggest religion on the planet at the time. Dogma it is a fantasy comedy film directed by Kevin Smith himself with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, George Carlin, and a bunch of the uh, other standard askewverse uh, actors. Revolves around two fallen angels, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, who um, plan to employ a loophole in Catholic dogma to return to heaven after being cast out by God. But as existence is founded on the principle that God is infallible, their success would prove God wrong, thus undoing all of creation. 
The last scion and the two prophets are sent by the seraph Metatron to stop them. This got protested all up the wazoo. Yeah. And by all rights, I should not have enjoyed this movie. <laughs> but you know what? At the same time, yeah, I, I enjoyed this movie. <laughs> and this is probably his most talked about film, at least in not just in the negative circles, but in, in the positive circles, too. Because, again, he took it to another place. I think he was raised in the Catholic faith. I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head. And he, like you said, he kind of took him to task and, and did it in a way that incorporated the intelligence of Chasing Amy, the dick and fart jokes of mall rats and the, you know, the smart banter of clerks. And it worked. I mean, this is kind of in a lot of people's mind is his watershed moment, you know, his high point. His magnum opus. Yeah. This is my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Really? Mm-hmm. I take that back. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, regardless of your personal feelings on religion, there's a lot there to satirize. And I think that this, when the shots are taken, he picks his spots very intelligently. Even when it's low comedy, I don't believe that a whole lot of it is like unfair low blows. No, I mean, especially with the Catholic Church, which I have issue with itself. I think there was enough of the mythology and satirization of it that I was cool with it. Like Gatholgan, the the poop monster. <laughs> the excremental. Yes. Yeah, not my favorite part. But you guys know how I feel about uh, toilet humor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Not surprised. Though one of my favorite quotes, I drive, I drive a manual stick shift car, and occasionally it's one of those, what gear are you in? Gears? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That, well, it hit to me. And then you've got the whole uh, Carrie Fisher roadhead bit or the, uh, the Buddy Christ. Buddy Christ is, oh my God, it made me laugh so much the first time I saw that. George Carlin as a cardinal was fantastic. And the thing about Buddy Christ is that it feels like it's something not that far off from what they might do. Oh, yeah. I've been in meetings like that where people are talking about, you know, how can we appeal to the young and stuff and the hip? And, you know, next thing you know, they're inviting out some guy who wears, you know, jeans and a button-down shirt and a tie. And he's like, hey, kids. So, yeah, they're always trying to relate to the youth. That's exactly why I got out of that. <laughs> well, and then I think the fact that the thing that pissed a lot of people off as well was the fact that, you know, God was a woman. Just a fun little bit with Alanis Morissette at the end. But, you know, I think that kind of pushed some people's buttons, too. When we were getting close to the unveiling of who God was going to be, first time I saw this, I, th I really thought it was going to be Ellen DeGeneres. Because she had just, you know, done the whole coming out thing and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, if they're really going to try and stick their thumb up, you know. <laughs> yeah, that mm -hmm. would have pissed a lot of people off. Even more so. Yeah. Lannis Morissette did. Because she was, you know, she was all cutesy about it. I mean, not that Ellen DeGeneres wouldn't have been. But, yeah, that would have been a different thing altogether. That would have been a different... Oh, you guys didn't do it. Yeah, no. They... Oh, I see what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah, good try. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is where we would normally take our break because we're going to cross over into the 2000s. But we're, I mean, two, year 2000 was 20 years ago. Yikes. Right? He says nobody in this podcast knows that 2000 was 20 years ago more than me because that was the year my daughter was born. 
my daughter's she's turning 20 next month what the hell wow she is going much you're going to be able to have a beer with her legally in a bar oh shit (laughs) i mean she's a year younger than i was when i met her i met my wife mike next year's gen con she's going to be able to go bar hopping with us no (laughs) no (laughs) no there's so many reasons why I don't want her to come along. And I, I will I will say this. Despite her parentage, at least, okay, despite 50% of her parentage, she's got a lot better head on her shoulders than her father ever had at that age. Just tossing that out or, there. Or at any age. I know. As fun as it is to dunk on Mike, let's go to Jay and Silent Bob's Strike Back. All right, so 2001, buddy comedy film. Again, in the Ask universe, growing collection of them, all sprouting from clerks. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob, Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, the whole crowd is back again. It's supposed to, was a tin, and I'm sorry, intended to be the last film set in the Askewverse, but uh, upon uh, receiving a restraining order from Randall Graves for selling drugs outside the quick, quick stop, Jane and Bob learned that Brody has a comic book on their likeness, being adapted by Miramax Films. Uh, they visit Holden, co-writer of Blunt Man and Chronic, and demand royalties, but he explains that he sold his share to Banksy Edwards. Seeing never, negative reaction to the film and uh, online, they set out to Hollywood to prevent the film from tainting their image or at least get their royalties. Honestly, my favorite line from this show is, what the fuck is the internet? <laughs> I am the clit master. I really love this movie. This was just uh, if if you are sold on Kevin Smith from Clerks on, this is just a fun romp of him getting stuff out of his head. I really enjoy this movie, and if it ever, if and when it shows up on streaming or whatever, put it in the put it on in the background. Just enjoy the the banter. I think one of the reasons this works for me, and not all of the scenes work for me, but I love the connections between the previous characters from all of his other films. So, like, I forgive some of the comedy that doesn't, like, land 100% for me, and I end up really enjoying this film. The first time I saw it, I wasn't sure, but I, I've warmed to it significantly since that first viewing. Plus, you got Mark Hamill. Come on. It's a cock knocker. <laughs> yep. I mean, th- this basically takes mall rats and clerks, jams it together, throws some of Chase and Amy in there for good measure, and just... You know, he was going to, like I said, it was it was originally intended as kind of the last hurrah for the view universe. And so he threw everything in but the kitchen sink and, a, well, and a monkey, well, orangutan. And off he went to the races. And I, you know, I I love this movie. I think it's hilarious. Hits all the sweet spots. Patrick? Yeah, I don't really have anything to add because I agree with everything you guys have said. I I enjoyed this one, too. Well, shit! I was hoping for a conversation, man. Seriously, no. I mean, it was this was a good one. I liked it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add other than remember that scene. It was cool. Which one? Yeah, the scene where um, I don't even know the whole yeah, scene. I, okay, let's move on. <laughs> Moving I on. Not, I have not seen Jersey Girl, so don't ask me anything about it. I have not seen Jersey Girl. Have, okay, have any of us seen Jersey Girl? Yes, once. Go on. Pat and I will sit back. 
Well, aren't you going to talk about it first? Not if I'm... Okay. Well, it's a 2004 comedy drama. It's the first time the drama word has been dropped. Co-edited and directed by Kevin Smith, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, George Carlin, Stephen Root, Mike Starr, and Raquel Castro. A young man who must take care of his precocious daughter in the midst of a family tragedy. It was a first film written and directed by Smith not to be set in the SQ universe, as well as the first not to feature appearances by Jane and Bob, although they have the animation that comes out in the very beginning. At $35 million, it was his biggest budgeted film, but went on to underperform at grossing only at $36 million. So he only made a million. A lot of people hate this film. And I can't say as I liked it, but I think it gets more hate than it necessarily deserves. I I think uh, this definitely suffers from being even more jarring and different than the jump from Clerks to Mallrats. Well, he took a step out of the the comfort zone and he took kind of what drama drama there was. I was going to say dramedy. uh, Drama there was in um, Chasing Amy and decided, you know, seemed like he wanted to do a whole film kind of in that vein, not with the same subject matter, but that was more of a, a serious sort of a story. And, you know, again, people at that point were expecting a certain thing from him and it was not that thing. And I thought it was a, a well done film. It feels different from his other stuff, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It just was different. And I, I thought it worked overall. Yeah, it's weird because I, I kind of feel conflicted defending it because so many people just shit talk it because it did not do well. And kind of that's what it's remembered for. But it remains probably my third least favorite. Now, do you think this would have been better in your mind if it was a different director? That's an interesting question and one I don't really have an answer for. I mean, there's there's parts of it where I think the direction falls a little flat because it is more or less a drama than anything else. And, you know, he, he's doing something different. And so possibly, but I can't see him kind of relinquishing that role if it's something that he gave birth to, that he wrote on his own. And I guess I, I would ask another hypothetical just out there. I, I'm not sure. Do I even go see it if it's a precocious kid and her dad, her widower dad movie, if it's not a Kevin Smith movie? I, I'm not sure that's something that that's the sort of comedy that I go out and see at all. Yeah. I mean, I could see it being directed by somebody else or written and directed by somebody else and being a different kind of a a film and and possibly getting more accolades but i think kind of his name being attached to it set an expectation that didn't live up to because it wasn't he was he was trying to to do something uh that different something i keep saying the word different but i can't think of how else to describe it now here's a question i'm just going to throw it out there more to joel than to josh 2004 jersey girl harley quinn smith was four years old at this point do you think the fact that he finally, he has a daughter caused him to refocus and write Jersey Girl? I mean, it very well could have. I don't know enough about it to know if that was the, the, the genesis of it. But I I mean, anytime and you throwing it right back at you, I mean, as soon as you have kids, kind of your whole perspective changes on some things and you kind of look at the world in a different way. So... 
that that would make sense that he might be like, you know, I'm I'm a little older, got a family now. I can't keep doing drug dealers on the corner that are the heroes. I got to do something different. And this is what came out of it. That's very likely. Yeah. And if you look at interviews with him talking about the critical reception and the audience reception to Jersey Girl, he, I think this is a point in his career where he was taking that kind of stuff real hard because uh, like he put a lot of himself into this movie and people just repeatedly shit on it. Yeah, I think if you guys haven't seen it, I think it's it's something you should watch at least once because even when Kevin Smith isn't maybe at the top of his game and maybe that's just by critical standard, not necessarily by audience reaction, but he's still better than a lot of other filmmakers that are pumping out similar stuff. That That's my opinion. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the uh, negative response to Jersey Girl also comes from people sort of conflating it with Geely, which is another movie with Ben Affleck and uh, Jennifer Lopez in it. So I almost wonder if it doesn't get like a little bit of uh, residual stank from <laughs> being kind of negatively associated with a much worse film. And I think they get kind of intertwined. Uh, For sure. It, just like you're saying, I think that that happens a lot because they came out at a similar time and they were promoted in a similar way. And one was a decent movie that deserves an audience and one was Geely. So, you know. Yeah. And I almost wonder if like what happened to Kevin Smith as a director and as a person with the way people reacted to this, I, I would be shocked if it didn't like inform and shape the course of everything he did beyond this. And before we move on to the next film and get to the break after this, I just want to throw out there one thing that isn't in here that is not a movie, but I just wanted to make reference to. In 2000, he did Clerks the Animated Series, and it only lasted for six episodes, and it's kind of absurd and goofy and and funny. But if you've never seen it, I, I absolutely love it. I've watched the whole series several times over. I... I'm going to back you on this one. It is friggin' ridiculous, but a lot of fun to watch. I, on the non-movie Kevin Smith type of thing, I have all the Jane and Bob comics. I've got a bunch of Kevin Smith written stuff, uh, including the comic where Jane and Bob meet Mr. Rogers, which is kind of trippy. So Clerks 2. 2006 comedy film written directed by the man himself, a sequel to the 1994 film Clerks, a six film set in the SQ universe. It stars Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson, Rosario Dawson, or Trevor Furman, Jennifer Schwalbach-Schmidt, Jason Musen, Kevin Smith himself, and picks up with the original characters from the uh, original Clerks, Dante, Randall, Jane, Silent Bob. It is in color, and it uh, was screened out of the competition in the 2006 Cannes Film Festival and won the Audience Award at the Edinburgh International Film Festival the same year before receiving a theatrical release on the 21st of July and grossed $27 million worldwide from a $5 million budget. So did not, did I guess pretty well. Yeah, and in between Jersey Girl and Clerks 2 is the Green Hornet that never happened. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, that's a thing. He had mm -hmm. a lot of projects that like he was going to do a Prince documentary. And if you watch any of his uh, his specials that are all available on DVD and some on Blu-ray, uh, he'll, he'll tell you some of those stories, including the Superman movie. I was just about to say he was supposed to do Superman, too. 
Hey, he was the one that, that was supposed to do Superman with um, Nick Cage. The death of Superman. He he was enlisted to write it initially, but yeah, that's that's a whole other story. That if you get a chance, watch his. I, I want to call it stand up. It's not really stand up. He's like a storyteller. Yeah, yeah and, whole hour stand. Yeah, we. Sorry, and not that he needs us to pimp him, but like the, the raw emotions around this period. If you want to hear a podcast about them, there's like a billion hours of him talking about it himself. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he, you can hear that directly from him instead of having to hear us recycle it all secondhand. Right. That was one of the things that I did discover is that anytime he has a meet the fans, we're going to talk type of thing. It always goes much longer than expected. Yeah, he loves to talk. Yeah. Uh, in fact, and he's good at it, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, one, one of the things that I I did notice about him was he was at the Rouse Center for the Performing Arts up in Elk Grove Village. And the only reason that that peaked in my mind is because I actually worked with them for a little while. And it, they had a night with Kevin Smith where he was just doing Q&A. And it was only supposed to be like two hours long. And it went for almost seven freaking hours where he was just, yeah, what do you want to know? Let's talk type of thing. You're my fans. I love you. And you don't see that anymore. You don't see that kind of dedication to the people that love the product that you make. Without the fans, you have no job. Yeah. But anyway, clerks do. I'm sorry. But anyway, yeah, fans, come on, talk to us. (laughs) We need direction. We need an adult. Yeah. So I really like this film. Like uh, I was surprised because I didn't see it probably for four years after it came out. I'm not sure why I dragged my feet on going to see it, but uh, I found myself very pleasantly surprised that you've got clerks, but with a big budget, different cast, sort of a different take. Like it isn't the feels like a stage play of the original clerks, but it still retains the souls of those characters. Mm hmm. Kevin Muse is a hundred percent in as Jay in this one. Jason. Jason Muse, yes, that too. This is also the first film that put Rosario Dawson on my radar. And boy, she just shines in this movie. That that whole sequence where her and, and Dante are on the roof talking and the whole dance thing is just mm-hmm. uh, it's it's one of my favorite things in all of the Kevin Smith movies. That that just that scene, just every time I see it, I'm just like, wow, that's a, that's good writing right there. The only problem I have with that scene is every time I watch it, I'm always like, why would she even be interested in him? Because he's not even supposed to be here today. Because he's not you. I mean, that happens. Like some people just connect on these levels, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense to anybody outside the, those two people. I didn't necessarily have a hard time believing it. I mean, Dante's not a bad guy. He's a little neurotic. And he's kind of a schlub. He's he's a loser. He's definitely running these jobs well past the point in his life where that's where he should be. Mm-hmm. God knows I was there. I, <laughs> I, seriously, I mean, Josh is one of the married guys in this on this podcast. I mean, I've more than once said to my wife, I don't know why the hell you stuck with me for so long. But I'm glad you did. I mean, in the same time, Rosario Dawson wants to like get it on with uh, Dante. Good for Dante. You know, if he can keep it going, fantastic for him, man. Seriously. 
Uh, aside from that, w- what other thoughts do you have, Pat, before we all say everything you were going to say again? Yeah, I kind of went through the same thing you did with this as far as I didn't want, I didn't see it in the theater. I was, I was not really excited about a Clerks 2 simply because I, I didn't think it needed a sequel. But when I did see it, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, there were a couple scenes here and there that were kind of like whatever, but, but I mean, for the most part, it was it was really enjoyable. And like Joel said, I I really enjoyed that dance scene. I sometimes just go to YouTube and just watch that dance scene by itself. It was a lot better than I anticipated being. And I think part of it was was his desire to give fan service because he he knew kind of where people wanted him to go. You know, I think as an artist, if you feel like there's something more left in the well to kind of pull out, you're going to revisit that. And there's going to be some apprehension because you don't want to get pigeonholed as the clerk's guy. But if there's something more to say and the people want it, you know, why not do it? Because then that that funds your next project when you want to do something different. I could have done without the little nebbish guy. I can't remember his, you know, that worked at movies with them. Trevor Furman character, but I can't think of his name either. Yeah, I could have done without him. But other than that, you know, I mean, they needed a third, a third wheel for some reason. I, I don't know. It was Kevin. That and the whole, and, and, you, and you got Rosario Dawson sitting right there. Just use her, Jesus. Again, it goes back to Kevin Smith. Really does have a great skill at writing that oh, a ping pong banter. So, and you can't pull off a, a donkey show in a movie too often, and you know, have to be tasteful. <laughs> That's a yeah, hot uh, take there, pillow pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. On a completely, I know Josh is going to hate this, but on a completely low brow. I can't believe I'm laughing at this. The whole scene where Dante and Becky are sitting at the booth and they're talking together. And the whole time Jay has got his naked ass bouncing off against the window while they're sitting at the booth talking. I almost hate myself for the fact that I laugh at that every time I see it. No, that was funny. All okay, right, good. I feel better. <laughs> you feel vindicated. You know, I'm vindicated. You you bring up a good point when you mentioned the pillow pants line and the fact that just kind of like, you know, again, going back to Quentin Tarantino, because they kind of came up at the same time. You think about all the stuff that's happened up to this point that has been used in these films, the dialogue that has become part of pop culture. and it's got its own life now and, and people like us quote the film on a regular basis. And that, you know, again, kind of speaks to his writing that he was a pop culture junkie and now he has become part of pop culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's multiple times where, when I was still working work retail where I'd come in when they call me because somebody else called off and Hey, how you doing? Mike, I'm not even supposed to be here, man. How many people didn't get the joke? Like 37. Uh, Try not to suck any dick on the way to your the parking lot. Yeah. All right. So I think after uh, Joel heads out to the parking lot, yeah, we're uh, we're gonna take a break here now. <laughs> Why are you so happy about that? Um, we're gonna take a break, and we come back. We're going to pick up with 2008's Zach and Mary make a porno, and uh, we'll be back in a little bit. We are back, and we are going to talk about 2008's Zack and Miri. Uh, this is not a, a skewverse movie. 
It's a uh, 2008 sex comedy written, directed, edited by Kevin Smith, starring Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks. Uh, came out October 31st, 2008. Zach Brown and Miri Alinky are roommates in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Been friends since first grade. Despite Mary working at the local shopping mall and Zach working at a coffee shop, they've not paid their utility bills in months. Zach devoting most of his free time to the fanatic following of the Pittsburgh Penguins, blah, 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 blah. They wind up making adult alternative entertainment movies to make some movie, make some uh, money. This was kind of a weird one. This is the first one that stepped really outside of that was kind of clerks ish, but not in the askewverse. Yeah, and uh, we recently just talked about this quite a bit, so I figure we're going to give this one kind of a light touch, just because mm-hmm. it wasn't so long ago we gave a good 20 minutes to the film. I l- really enjoyed this movie. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it. Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks have a great connection between the two of them, and for some reason, Justin Long always makes me laugh. Oh, yeah. I love Justin. Yeah. And Kevin Smith does, too, because he uses him in a lot of his films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Craig Robinson's always great. Yeah, and you have Jason Mewes, but he's not Jay in this one. He's Lester. And I like the opportunity to see him in a different light. If you guys get a chance, check out Madness and the Method, which is his first outing as, I believe, writer and director, both. Uh, Stan Lee makes a cameo in it, as, as well as a bunch of the oh. viewers Universe people. Um, but yeah, and it shows that he does have some some chops. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I we talked about this one at length uh, previously, but I... Enjoy this film. I mean, I, I make no bones about I a fan of all of Kevin Smith's work. All of it. <laughs> Just going to throw needless, that out there. Needlessly aggressive right there. <laughs> well, because when we get to the next movie, I, it's it's the least favorite of the bunch. Yeah. Uh, but there's reasons, so we'll get to it. Right. Huh. I, I personally enjoyed the introduction of Craig Robinson into this group. Uh, working with Seth Rogen at the coffee house, I think he was a great addition to it. And I think he really kind of picked up into the whole... Uh, back and forth conversation that we expect from Kevin Smith in this one. I just Craig Robinson is just great at the whole Craig Robinson thing. He's got chops, man. He's a, yeah. he's a funny guy. He's got a lot of talent and he, he utilizes it here in a good way. Yep. But like I said, if you want to hear more about this one, go back to the romantic comedy show, romantic comedy show. Yeah. Moving on to 2010 cop out buddy cop action comedy. Directed and edited by Kevin Smith, written by Mark and Rob Cullen, Tracy Morgan, Kevin Pollock, and Son William Scott. It revolves around two veteran NYPD partners, Willis and Morgan, on the trail of a stolen, rare, mint-conditioned baseball card who find themselves up against a relentless, memorabilia-obsessed, bloodthirsty gangster. First film that Smith directed that he did not also write, and this is, is his highest-grossing film. You forgot to mention oh, Bruce Willis, isn't it? Yeah. Bruce Willis, Tracy Morgan, buddy cop movie, buddy cop movie called Cop Out, <laughs> which originally was going to be called A Couple of Dicks. But uh... this movie was uh, legendary for like after uh, it came out, both Bruce Willis and uh, Kevin Smith, they did not work well together. No, because there was Die Hard with the no, Live Die, Free or Die Hard with a vengeance. No, Live Free or Die Hard, where Kevin Smith played. The I forget the character's the name. The hacker, yeah. Oh, yeah. The virus, the something like that. Yeah, and he lived in his parents' basement. They, they did these two movies kind of around the same time. And if you've ever seen Kevin Smith or heard Kevin Smith talk about his experiences, because he loved Bruce Willis, like loved Bruce Willis. And then these things happened. Yeah, there's nowhere anymore. 
Yeah, and they pretty much both unabashedly go on record as not liking each other now. It, 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 they say, you know, never meet your hero. Uh, I can't say that that's 100% true, but in this case, yeah. Bruce Willis is notoriously hard to work with when he doesn't want to work. And he decided that he didn't want to do Cop Out after agreeing to, to do it. He decided he didn't want to. And when Bruce Willis decides he doesn't want to do something, bad things happen. Yeah, he's a bit of a prima donna. And while this is a is an okay movie... It's, you know, it does what it sets out to do, and it's it's not unenjoyable, but Smith didn't write it, so you don't have his standard kind of stamp on it. And to say, okay, we want Kevin Smith to direct this movie about two buddy cops. You're like, okay, well, what makes this a Kevin Smith project? You know, why why would he want to do this? He didn't write it. It's not really in his wheelhouse, but, you know, we're going to have him do it anyway. It just... It, I think it was just his chance to work with with Bruce Willis, and it kind of blew up in his face a little bit, even though it was, like they said, his highest-grossing film in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Eh, it's yeah. just an okay movie. Trying to get Kevin Smith to direct somebody else's words is not a recipe for success. Yeah, and, like, critics came out and just hammered it when it first came out, like, just crushed it. This was, uh, I think, another one where you can see from interviews that Smith took all the criticism really hard, especially considering he was still reeling from how bad the experience of making the film was in the first place. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Josh and I and possibly Patrick have seen it. Have you seen it, Mike? I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? Patrick. I have not seen it. This is where it starts to get a little fuzzy on me. I mean, I think just to say you've seen it because it's a Kevin Smith film and just because, you know, it's a buddy cop movie. I mean, not, nah, I'm not going to say 90 of the time. A lot of the times, you know, they're fun just because they're it's two different kind of polar opposites coming together to fight crime. And it sort of works, but it sort of doesn't. So I'd say at least once if it's on on a Saturday afternoon and you don't have to pay for it. It's on my list of movies that I have to see, but a lot of times where I'm like, oh, wow, cop outs on there. Well, should I got to watch this for the podcast? So... <laughs> A couple years later, 2010, moves on to 2011 to Red State. It's an independent horror thriller film written and directed by Kevin Smith, starring Michael Parks, John Goodman, which personally, I think John Goodman over Bruce Willis. I'd take John Goodman. Michael Anagaro, Melissa Leo, and Stephen Root. Uh, after months saying that the distribution rights of the film will be auctioned off immediately after the premiere at the Sundance Film Festival, Smith controversially announced that he was instead going to self-distribute the movie uh, under Smodcast Pictures banner and with a traveling show in select cities. Set in middle America, a group of teens receive an online invitation for sex, though they soon encounter fundamentalists with a much more sinister agenda. I have not seen this movie. Have any of you seen it? I couldn't get through it. I have not. Now, what stopped you from watching all of it, Josh? It's a fucking mess. Yeah, I, I love Kevin Smith. Like, I would love to believe that someday he would listen to the show, but I, there are some places that he will go where I cannot follow. And this, yeah. See, and I, I, I'm kind of in the opposite camp. I, I felt like here was his statement to the world. He's like, okay, look, I've done all this other stuff. I've proven that I can do this. I want to do something different. I love this genre and I want to do something that is my own. And I think he succeeded. I think it feels very different from all the other Kevin Smith films. It looks very different from all of his other films. The writing is is still, you can get tinges of him in it, but it's a, it proves that he can write dramatic dialogue 
and also have dramatic action. And it it's very much um, so a lot of a kind of a that's what I'm looking for. It's like a putting you know cults on trial, but it ends with a very kind of holy shit, what just happened? Kind of almost dogma note, um, and it's a little hard to watch, but that's just because of the subject matter, I think. And it started his relationship with Michael Parks, who puts in a, a stellar performance in this and in the next film we're going to talk about. I really enjoyed it. It's not for everybody, but I thought it was an impressive kind of horror debut. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I found it, the plot mostly incomprehensible and kind of preachy to boot. Like I get that he's going, taking both government and religion to task and that's fine. Like I think he's got some interesting things to say about them. I just don't think he said any of them very well in this movie. And it ends on kind of a big, a big note. I mean, if you if you ever get to the end of it, or either of you guys ever see it, it kind of ends on a on a in a way that could mean a different things to different people. But John Goodman is is stellar in it as well. Yeah, I definitely read the summary of the plot, so I, I know how it ends. And m- maybe someday I'll finish it, but I, I don't think so. It's different. Yeah this this is my least favorite. Yeah, there's 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 no comedy in at all. Whereas even the ones were the next one, which is kind of a bit less of a comedy, there's still some funny aspects to it. Yeah, there's no comedy. So the next one, what he's talking about is called Tusk 2014, written, directed by Kevin Smith, based on a story from his Smodcast podcast, stars Michael Parks, Justin Long, Hilly Joel Osment and Genesis Rodriguez involves turning Justin Long into a walrus. (laughs) I tried to watch this today, in fact. And when I say tried, it was a capital T. I could not get through this movie. I don't know. I watched all of it. And there's a definite connection between this one and the next one, Yoga Hosers. But I saw them in reverse order. And I have similar problems with both of them in terms of storytelling. And I think Yoga Hosers is a lot more fun. So having seen this one second kind of wrecked it for me. There were a few things, especially the Johnny Depp scenes, went on painfully long, difficult to watch long. This isn't like a major thumbs down. This this wasn't I didn't find it unwatchable like Red State, but didn't care for Tusk. See, and, and I again, I'm going to be the dissenting opinion, I guess, from here on out. But uh, <laughs> we just watched this last night because Laura hadn't seen it. She knew nothing about it. And I said, you know, let's leave it that way. Just watch it and see what your take is on it. Watching it without knowledge of what it's about. And she enjoyed it as well. On his podcast, they came up with this concept and he built the movie around that concept. And then, you know, they continued down that path, which then led them to the True North trilogy, which Tusk, Yoga Hosers and the yet to be made Moose Jaws, which is Jaws with a Moose. No, no, wait, wait, what, what, what is this concept, Joel? Michael Parks turns Justin Long, not literally turns him into, but medically, almost in a human centipede kind of way turns him into a walrus who is his friend that he lived with when his ship sank when he was in the military and he was trying to bring back his friend mr tusk so that they could on the 15th anniversary of when he killed mr tusk because he thought he was going to die and he needed food so he ate his best friend quote unquote. then a, a ship shows up right after he's in the middle of eating mr tusk and he regrets that and wants to give mr tusk the ability to either exact his revenge or to prove that, you know, he made the right choice to kill him. And so he's gone through 23 different attempts of trying to transform another person into this walrus, succeeds with Justin Long and Johnny Depp's character, Guy Lapointe, 
is the guy that's tracking him down, which very much kind of channeling Inspector Clouseau. And I find the Johnny Depp, I, he hits my sweet spot as that character for some reason. But I, I think that when he and, and Scott Mosier came up with the concepts, they had just a simple, this would be funny. And then he built the script around it. And I think the fact that he kind of maybe reverse engineered it is what makes it work for me. And there's some great dialogue, some great storytelling. And Michael Parks just is on point. I think my opinion of it would have been a little bit more mellow had I seen them in release order instead of seeing Yoga Hosers first. Well, and there's a lot of carryover. I mean, if you watch, because we watched Yoga Hosers tonight right before the show, which again, she knew nothing about it. And was like, are those Nazi bratwursts? I'm like, yeah. A lot of the characters carry over and will if Moose Jaws actually gets made. It's not in production, but if it happens, you know, I'm sure that his, the characters are as well. And it's not the universe. It's all takes place in Canada. All right. So on to Yoga Hosers because we keep talking about it. Yeah. So Yoga Hosers, a horror comedy film from Kevin Smith as a spinoff of 2014's Tusk stars Lily Rose Depp and Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, uh, along with Johnny Depp. He is the second in the True North trilogy in the Ask Universe. It is a world premiere in 2016 at the Sundance Film Festival, released September 2nd, 2016 by Invincible Pictures. It was a commercial failure and universally panned in critics by audiences who considered a low point in Smith's career despite admiration from longtime fans. Jennifer Schmalbach Smith. <laughs> Schwalbach. It's hard to say that. Reprises her role as Missy Miss McKenzie from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Well, and she reprises her role from Tusk as well. She's one of the the characters that comes back. Hmm. As well as Guy Lapointe. So how many of us have seen this? I, I had the choice between going to Tusk or Yoga Hosers this afternoon and went to Tusk because it was made before this. In my opinion, that's an oops. <laughs> but if you want to see the entire series and you want to see it in order, then you start with Tuscan. Yeah, I mean, given the choice between the two, I went chronologically and got about a third of the way. And then it was like, I'm done. But how many of us have seen this one? I have. Uh, and yeah, I have. Yeah. Okay. I don't think Pat has. Patrick? I, don't know. I have almost no desire to see any of these movies. The Tusk Yoga Hosers or whatever the fuck the Moose Jaw fucking one Moose Knuckle thing is. Moose Jaws. I just, I have almost zero desire. I don't listen to their podcast, so I'm not going to get any of the little jokes. And I don't really, I mean, this would be like if, if we had enough money and clout and we made a movie about Knuckleface Jones and Stone Snagglepuss. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd watch <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it would be awesome to us, yes. But you know what? These are not our side characters, so I don't give a fuck about watching a movie about Nazi bratwurst. I mean, a lot of it, for me, this one, yeah, it had the same sort of off-kilter, somewhat uncomfortable combination of horror and comedy as Tusk. But this one was so out there, so much more fun to me that it crossed the line. Like, when I say that Tusk is a qualified thumbs down, like almost in the middle between thumbs up and thumbs down, Yoga Hosers is a qualified thumbs up. Like, it's batshit. But I, I was moving back and forth between going, what the fuck even is this? And laughing. And I, I came down having more laughs and uh, amazement just how crazy this whole movie is. And uh, I think there's much Gila point in this one is much more subdued. You don't have 10 minutes of him rambling, barely audible or understandable at, directly at the camera. Yeah, I, I, I like this one. About the uh, the hockey player Gregory Gumtree. 
this one, if if you want kind of a point of reference, imagine a Trump film without the massive amounts of blood gut. There's violence, but it's comedic violence, and there's you don't see any blood. You see a lot of sauerkraut, but yeah, no actual blood. You don't see blood, but you see a lot of sauerkraut? Yeah. That's that's what the Nazi bratwurst are stuffed with, which all the Nazi bratwurst were played by Kevin Smith. Who don't, no, don't, 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 don't for it. Explain it to me. <laughs> and Gila Point has a mold on him that keeps moving and more keep adding and detracting throughout the film. So as you watch it, moles keep moving around his face. And sometimes there's one and sometimes there's like eight. Kind of a fun little Easter egg for it. Hasn't seen it yet. So that brings us to 2019's Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Buddy comedy film written, directed, edited by Kevin Smith, referring to his 2001 Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Smith has described the film as literally the same fucking movie all over again. It is the eighth film in the Esk universe. Also stars the uh, standard cast of Jason Mewes, cameos of Jason Leash and Elizabeth Rosario Dawson, and basically anybody who you have seen in a previous Kevin Smith movie. Released with sessions around North America on October 15th and 17th, 2019, had the second highest per screen average of 2019 behind Parasite. If you're listening to this in the future, Parasite did rather well in 2019. The Jane and Bob reboot is the first movie to have per screen averages of over $60,000 four different times in its domestic run, which is ridiculous. So probably from Red State on to this, you've kind of got, Kevin Smith is past the getting upset about what fans and critics say about his films and just making stuff that he wants to make that people that love the same things he love want to see. I didn't like everything about this, but I could tell that he liked it enough that there were points that I bought in, even if I thought some of the dialogue was a bit of him up his own butt. Mm -hmm. But, you know, overall, like I forgave that in this where I can't say I always liked the movie, but overall, I think my impression was pretty positive, especially I think it got better in the third act, like near the end. I agree with you there, because by the time you hit the end of the second act on this one, like when they got to the con, I was almost done with this movie. But once they got there, it picked up enough. And the self-referential portion of it where he immediately started poking fun at himself, I dug it. Where he, you can tell that he realizes, he's like, yeah, third act, you all realize at this point, I'm up my own ass, and I really hate Hollywood. <laughs> this is what I got from this one. It's it's a lot of fan service, is what it is. I mean, he's, he's saying, you know, you guys want more Jay and Silent Bob, here you go. And I think it's kind of clever what he did, because, you know, he... He did literally recycle almost the, the first film in a lot of ways in this film. And I, I enjoyed it. I found it to be successful. And the fact that he did do a lot of nods and throwbacks and mm -hmm. character crossovers from the previous films. And it kind of brought it all back around full circle. And I thought it was I thought it was cleverly done. And yeah, if it was a bit of a rehash. But that was the point. It was a quote unquote reboot. Yeah, and it was a lot of the I've got all these. I've got a notebook full of references that I want to cram into a movie and I can't do it unless I do Jay and Silent Bob again. One of the things I really enjoyed that they they did, but they didn't overdo was the fourth wall breaking, especially like with Ben Affleck, where they, you know, they they do the straight look at the camera. I enjoyed that. Yeah, they know what they're doing. They know uh, Kevin Smith's like, yeah, I'm it's my own personal hand job, but. I wanted to get it out there. I wanted to get this done and you can know, come along with the ride or not, but I'm doing it. I enjoyed it. 
I mean, the the very end of it, the finale of it was kind of janky. But at the end, I didn't regret watching this movie. And I have to say, in over 300 movies or 300 different things that we've watched for this podcast, there's quite a few of them where I have watched and regretted it. This is not one of them. Pat, did you manage to catch this one? Yeah, I pretty much had to make a decision between this and uh, Yoga Hosers. And when it's much easier to find this one online than Yoga Hosers, I went ahead and went with this one. All right, so hit us. Pretty much hated this movie. Okay, yeah, let's 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 hear it. I just it was like you like you made reference to Kevin Smith was entirely too much up his ass throughout this whole movie. Too much just meta commentary that wasn't really that clever. It was just oh whoop, look at us, we've done this already. Oop oh let's look at the camera. Oh yeah, I hate Kevin Smith too. Oh I hate you. Let's call him Kevin James because just so many way too much juvenile type of you know crappy self-deprecating referential humor that was just way too over the top where it came almost around to the side of like you're you're protesting too much and like this whole like we all know that you had this whole thing where you hated hollywood and you fought with this and that producer and blah 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 and you had your issues and yada yada but you know you're still a big part of of that machine you know and you're going through all the same hollywood hoops to do exactly the same fucking movie you've already made before just like disney does just like anybody else does and you're you're trying to act like you're above it because oh we're gonna stick our thumb up at it <laughs> but you're still fucking doing it i mean it, it, it you're not you know you're acting like you're above the machine when you're really just part of it and it was just it was it was like it, trying too hard i just i hate and, and the acting was so bad and just so much of it and his daughter is a shit actress by the way just the whole thing when she was crying about not having a father i was like oh my god this is awful I mean, just so many things about this movie. I I hated this movie. I thought she did a good job. We were 20 minutes into the movie before I even laughed, and that was because Matt Damon was on the screen making, you know, being funny. I was like, "Give me more fucking Matt Damon as Loki." I don't think I've ever heard you say, "Give me more Matt Damon." Matt Damon. <laughs> the acting was bad. Kevin Kevin Smith in his phone all the time typing away for you know whatever just to show one emoji or whatever. Yeah, you know, kind of funny once, maybe even twice, but like after the eighth time, I'm like, yeah, not fucking funny. And you know, it's like I don't know. It was just so much of it was just I just it was too far up its own ass for my liking. You know what? You've convinced me. I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Put the boy back in the well. He's flip flopping. Um... Nah. I just I, I did not enjoy very much of this movie at all. Yeah, he was texting me during his watching of it and was pretty negatory at that point. So I knew where he was. I was disappointed. I wanted to like it. I really did. But I just God, it was just so bad. Before we get to the last little bullet points here, I just wanted to mention one other thing that was uh, uh, in 2016. He was part of an anthology film called Holidays, where each director did a, a short film based on a specific holiday. And he had Halloween. His daughter was one of the actresses, yet again, even though I know Pat's not a fan. Kind of a three girls take revenge on a guy. That's that's what the basic plot is. You know, it's short. It's like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes at most. But just wanted to mention it. I want to make, make it clear. She was perfectly serviceable as an actress until it came time for like real gravitas. And then she was, yeah, not very good. And then I never learned to read. The whole movie to me felt like if Chris Farley's character on snl that interviewed people and was like remember that scene that was cool i felt like he wrote a movie is what jay and silent bob reboot felt like to me 
Like, wow. remember the time we did this? Well, let's do it again. Remember the time we did this? Oh, that was cool. Let's do something like that again. Oh, remember that time we did this? That was cool. Remember when we met this person? Yeah, let's do that again. So basically, it's like hanging out with us. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we try to avoid a lot of that anymore. But I'm not making movies right. releasing them nationwide, expecting people to you know suck it all up and tell me what a fucking genius I am. Hey, but if anybody wants to fund us, you know, we we will happily. Take I don't the like what Kevin Smith has become. Kevin James, thank you. <laughs> he got way too bitter, and now he's gone all the way around to where he's like, you know what, fuck you guys, I'm gonna do whatever I want, and my true fans will like it. And, and because they suck up and slurp up everything, he he he's got like an entourage of a hundred thousand yes men that just tell him everything he does is beautiful and wonderful, and fuck all those people who tell you, you know, don't make a movie about Nazi bratwurst guys who are stuffed with sauerkraut. You know, they're wrong because they don't want to see that. It's like, no, there. I mean, there's a reason why it's such a niche movie. It's because it's just, I mean, there's not a whole lot of people that want to see that. I don't know. If, if as a person, if you had people shitting on stuff that you put years of your life into, wouldn't it feel better to you to do something that basically the people who like your stuff, you're getting the praise and mostly everybody else is ignoring it? I mean, yeah, I, got I get that. But I mean, the problem is he has the attitude, you know, it's like, if you don't like this, you're some kind of an idiot piece of shit. Because I've read a couple of interviews with him lately and, he, you know, and he's like, and he's just putting out these movies. And basically he's like, I get it. If you want to say, all right, my fans love this. I'm going to, I'm going to cater to my fans, but don't act like if you're not one of those people, because you don't like, you know, my shit sandwich that makes you an asshole. It's like, no, I mean, I, I get some people like a shit sandwich. They can like it. The, you know, doesn't make me a bad person for not liking it. This allegory has gone down a weird alley right now. Kevin Smith just texted me and he said, you're shithead for not liking He's, li- he's listening to us record? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got him on a feed. He's able to Kevin Smith was Craig all along. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I wanted to like this movie because I knew I really didn't, because the interview that I read was after he made Yoga Hosers and he was just going off about, you know, critics and people that didn't like him and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, I really didn't want to watch one of those, and I was I was ex- kind of excited to watch Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And within within the first ten minutes, I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? So do you think maybe that my thought that he's gotten past all of the people hating him and the pain of that 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 might not be true? He he might be like you said, protesting too much, where he never really got past it. And this I don't is... think he has. No, I really don't think he has. Okay, yeah, I think he just made. The Jay and Silent Bob movie again for his fans, and it's just another one of those things where it, like there's that's why there's so much fan service in it because he's just like I don't care that the critics want me to make something new. I'm just gonna make something again that all my fans want to see. I'm gonna I'm gonna just make another. I'm gonna make the Force Awakens, but in this universe. Yikes! Yeah, I I can't say that I blame him if the first time he tried something super new, he got Jersey Girl and got shit on for years and years and years. Yeah, it seems like every time he tries to step out and make something that he thinks will be critically acclaimed, it gets shit on. So he's just like, all right, I'm done trying to do that. And yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily blame him. But again, you can't then turn around and be like, well, if you're not one of my hardcore fans, you suck because you don't like what I'm doing. Like, No, I mean, just you know, a regular person can just not like what you're putting out. Well, all right. I don't like what you're putting out, Patrick. Hey, I get that a lot. I'm glad I asked the question because, like, sometimes uh, we uh, the uh, we all kind of sort of liked it, and while we don't necessarily have the same perspective on it, I think it makes for pretty good conversation. Yeah, and you're you're entitled to your opinion, uh, absolutely. I disagree with it personally, but 
that's you know the great thing about film is that there's something for everybody all right so uh it is 2020 upcoming stuff that we have listed on his imdb is a movie called kilroy was here which is a horror comedy anthology film so we'll see what's coming up it's written by uh smith and andrew mcelfresh Elfresh? Elfresh? Uh, also, uh, Clerks 3 and Twilight of the Mall Rats are also listed as TBA. Which I'm curious to see what happens with those. Um, I don't think they're ever going to get made. Well, he's, you know, he's in quarantine right now. And according to the articles online, he's working on both those films while he's in quarantine. So well, we'll we see might. what happens. All right. I guess thumbs up, thumbs down on Kevin Smith as a whole. Mm. Maybe. I mean, maybe we talk about favorites and least favorites. Is yeah. that a better way to do this? Yeah. So your favorite Kevin Smith movie, Josh? Uh, Chasing Amy. Don't even have to think about it very long. Least? Uh, only one I couldn't get all the way through, a Red State. All right. Joel, what about you? I like everything. <laughs> well, I do. I am a fan. Um, okay. But, you know, I mean, I think Clerks just because of... It's kind of what started it all. And no matter when I go back and watch it, I always find something new to laugh at. Whereas it may not be his his greatest achievement. I just love that film as a whole. And least favorite, I would probably go with Cop Out. Patrick, what about you? Uh, my favorite would be Dogma. And I think my least favorite would be the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. I was mm. very disappointed. I'm going to go with my favorite. Well, I'm going with Joel on this one with Clerks because it's, it's a throwback. It's not. In retrospective, it's not great, but I enjoy it. It's fun. By the way, the the egg Uh-oh. scene, the egg scene in Clerks was just a long way to go just to shit on critics or guidance, or counselors. guidance counselors. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, a long way to go just to shit on guidance counselors. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, oh, and just right. so nobody complains. Uh, comic book men, good show. Sorry, it ended. Okay, yours, Mike. Uh, worst Tusk. I I mean I've very rarely do I watch start watching movies for this podcast and will I stop and go I have so much other shit I could be doing right now I got clothes I got to wash I got to make dinner I was gonna say that's saying a lot when you've got unlimited time right now yeah, I mean right now I got I I don't have a job right now I am unemployed at this moment and I would rather do laundry than watch Tusk so there you go Joel what are we doing next week. Uh, next week we are going to find out, uh, whose line was it anyway? I'm really excited for this show for the next one. The, uh, whose line. Absolutely. And if, uh, you have anything to say about, uh, any of Kevin Smith's catalog or any of the topics we talk about weekly here on 40 going on 14, give us a call. Let us know your thoughts at 708. Now wrap that phone number again is 708-669-9727. Yep. And again, if you're looking for our older stuff, that's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM. Find us on Podchaser. Leave us a review. Let us know what, what you're looking for and what you want to hear from us. And definitely also find us on Discord and join the chat. Our link to join the chat is on our Facebook page. Again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Well, all right. All right, all right. All right. Somebody explain to me why that song was ever popular. Which one? Walk the Dinosaur? dinosaur. It was kind of a shitty time for music, maybe? I don't know. Bobby McFerrin did have a number one hit, so you're not wrong. I loved that song. Dude.
Don't worry. Be happy. And the music video is fantastic. All right, we're ready to do this. Yeah, we might as well. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> I've tried so hard not to give you any reaction. I wish I'd have been muted. <laughs> I'm like, don't laugh, because the second you do, it's going to be the fucking running joke of the whole goddamn show. <laughs> oh, it is now. Uh, yeah, it wasn't going to be, but now that you said that. Uh, yeah, sure. All right. Five, four, three, two. <laughs> God damn it, Joel. <laughs> I'll wait. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I hate Happy him now? so much. I You're fucking hate him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate him so much. <laughs>